You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, UFC 273 goes down this weekend from Jacksonville, Florida. We're down there at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena, the granddaddy of them all. Naturally, we will spend... Most of this show breaking down the top three fights on this fight card. You got Alexander Volkanovsky putting the men's featherweight title on the line against Chan Sung Jung. You got Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan going to have their men's bantamweight uh, unification battle. And then you got a interesting welterweight contender fight where Gilbert Burns and Kamzat Shemaev are going to be doing the damn thing. To start things off, though, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, pick your brain about this. I looked up the the odds here for the okay. for the top three fights on this fight card over at a sports book on the internet that shall remain nameless until they start giving us money. The odds makers don't think any of these three fights are going to be particularly competitive. You got Chan Sung Jung going off right now at plus five twenty five, and Alexander Volkanovsky at minus seven sixty. You got all Jermaine Sterling, the guy who comes into this fight as the actual champion. He's at plus 350. You got the interim champ and former champ, Peter Yan, going off at minus 475. And then you got the welterweight battle, Gilbert Burns at plus 360 and Kamzat Shemaev at minus 490. So I guess my question for you to open this whole thing up is, is this a problem for the UFC? Does this, you think, obviously I think we got a little bit of a lower wattage pay-per-view fight card here compared to the last few. As it stands, does it hurt things even more that the the so-called experts are looking at these three fights and saying none of these three marquee fights will be competitive? I don't think so. I don't think it's a big problem if you're the UFC because this is one of those that you're selling the aggregate value. You're not selling one big fight. You know? Yeah, and it's not a bad lineup to be doing that with because you come in here and you say, We got two title fights, including one that's gonna settle some unfinished business. And then we got this guy that we've been telling you is the best thing since sliced bread. And he's going to finally get a really big test in the division that's going to help you figure out if that's true. So those three together, even if the odds makers are looking at them and saying, we feel like we know which way all of these are going. I think it still holds enough appeal for fans just to get in there and say, look, we've been surprised before. Odds makers been surprised before. And when you've got three different fights on a a five-fight main card pay-per-view portion, that's enough for most people, I think, especially in the Just Some Fights era where we're used to, okay, hey, we'll tune in for these fight nights. Maybe they got something. Maybe they don't. Maybe we only care about the main event. And then you roll up in here where, all right, you got a pretty good main card where there's a different sort of appeal going on in every single fight. That's enough, I feel, especially after you took last weekend off, gave everybody a little bit of a chance to miss you. You know what I mean? A little bit of a breather. We don't spend a lot of time on this show talking about gambling, but can I lay some of these specials on you? You Okay. You got some specials here 
that you could take advantage of over at this uh, nameless online sports book uh, that rhymes with craft rings. Uh, hey, don't even don't don't do that. Listen, if they want the CME bump, they got to come and pay for the CME bump like everybody else. I mean, everybody knows that we've been having a lot of fun with our $20 We Never Want to See Again segment over on Friday's Power Hour. A lot of the co-maniacs out there have been getting on board with us, throwing their bets up in the CME Discord, everybody having a good time. But you know what? If if you want to dance, you got to pay the band. Don't help them out. You go out to a nice no restaurant. No free ones. You, look, you might, the, 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 uh, the waiter comes to the table. He says, would you like a starter? And you say, yeah, give me the craft rings. I'd love to get an order of the craft rings if I could. Uh, you know, uh, just because of $20 I never want to see again on Fridays that I love to name my parlays. We all know that by now. Yes. Well, it turns out they do the same thing with the specials over on this sports book, online sports book that shall remain nameless. They got one here called the Who Let the Dogs Out. Okay. You can get plus 13,000 if you bet Chan Sung Jung. All Jermaine Sterling and Gilbert Burns all to win. Wow. You can get, they got one here called the undefeated parlay. If you take Kamzat Shemaev, Ian Gary, and Mark O'Madson all to win, that gets you a relatively uh, par, uh, pedestrian plus 230. Okay. You take all those guys. They got one where you, you can either bet all the athletes who've trained at Tiger Muay Thai to win. That would be Alexander Volkanovsky, Peter Yan, Kamzat Chemaev, all to win by KO, TKO, or DQ. That gets you to plus 1,900. And then you got American Top Team. You can take the biggie boy, Jarzino Rosenstrike, and Tisha Torres, both to just win straight up. That will get you plus 225. So there's some specials out there, my guy. I mean, I like that we're doing this. Can you? Can we get one where you bet on everybody who's a Virgo or something <laughs> like that? They should have one where you can get good odds betting against everyone we picked. Yes, the anti-CME special. Mm -hmm. People probably win a lot of money. It's not a bad idea, frankly. Win some people a lot of money. Reminder, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty. And like us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show that you're listening to right now, what we like to call the proper, drops every afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But if you think we're having fun right now, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there party rocking with three additional podcasts every single week. You got the Wednesday live chat, the Thursday doing the damn thing podcast, and then, of course, Friday for the power hour where we get everybody primed and ready to go for the weekend, for the weekend's fights. And this weekend will be no exception down there at... Uh, UFC 273 in Jacksonville. We got music this week from longtime listener, friend of the show, Ross Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on this episode, you could check out more over at soundcloud.com slash STHLM Ross, which I believe, I believe is shorthand for Stockholm Ross. You know it. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Chan Sung Jung rolls into Saturday's championship fight with Alexander Volkanovsky. Just one and one in his last two fights dating back to 2019. So what, if anything, can he do to make things interesting? Hmm? 
And in round number two, we're doing it again, brother. You just shut up and let me talk. At long last, (laughs) Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yawn will hopefully give us an answer as to who is the UFC's top men's bantamweight. Just so long as one of them doesn't cheat so bad, they literally have to take the title away and give it to somebody else. And in round number three, have you guys heard of this Kamzat Chimaev? Many people are saying he might be kind of good. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week, listener mail is brought to you once again by our pals at Fulton and Rourke. The last couple of weeks, we've been telling you about uh, all the new stuff that our buddies at Fulton and Rourke have going on with their line of fine men's grooming products. Since the last time we worked together, the dudes at Fulton and Rourke told me they finally did something that their customers have been telling them to do for a while now. They created matching bar soaps and deodorants to coordinate with the scents of their solid fragrances. They did it in a way so that you can layer your fragrance without ever getting overwhelming. You can understand how this would be a problem, right, Ben? If your body wash and your shampoo and your deodorant and your fragrance are all different scents, you could be out here walking around smelling like a damn organic tea shop, right? Yeah. You could be smelling like you fell in a Willy Wonka river of various smells and odors. Well, go ahead. I can hear you. You just took a breath. I hear you. I just wanted to say something. I hear you. I heard your intake of breath. What do you got? One thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is that it's a kiss of death if you got your scents warring against one another. Yeah. You know, if you're out there and your fragrances are in combat with each other, then you really, you just come off as a a person at war with himself and you don't want that. Yeah. No, I like the way you said that. I think that that's that's well said. Uh, now, you can coordinate everything. The bar soap, for example, it's the same brick of excellence we've been talking about on this show literally for years, but now it's available in eight different scents. That is a lot. Tons of cool stuff going on over at Fulton and Rourke. If you want to check it out for yourself, CME listeners can save 15% on their first purchase with the coupon code IFYOUNASTY. All one word. Go over to FultonandRourke.com to check it out. That is FultonandRourke.com. First question this week comes from our guy, Donkey Dave. Well, why, why wouldn't we start off with a question from Donkey Dave? That's just, that's a gimme. Donkey Dave writes, John Jones says he hasn't been offered a fight by the UFC and has nothing in the pipeline, but plans to be in peak fighting condition by June or July this year. Uh, Isn't he kind of giving away any negotiating leverage he had by letting us know that? Perhaps when John Jones, oh, remember when John Jones wanted the UFC to show him the money in order to fight at heavyweight? Does he think we all just forgot that? Did he? I don't know, Ben. What do you think? Is John Jones tipping his hand here even a little bit more than he already has to say, I don't have a fight offer yet, but I'm going to be ready to go in June or July? I think that, as I have said many times in the wake of his most recent arrest and life upheaval, John Jones is at least savvy enough to realize that he does not have the the negotiating power, the leverage that maybe he thought he did back when he was saying, show me the money to fight at heavyweight. Because he abdicated that title at light heavyweight, he changed his body, he moved up a division, and he's done nothing but generate bad headlines for himself outside the cage. And so the UFC realizes, look, we don't need to have a John Jones blockbuster fight in order to continue 
printing our own money. And they're right about that. They don't need him. They, they've got themselves this model that works very, very well. And the money is just flowing right in. It'd be nice. It'd be nice if you could have John Jones in a big ass heavyweight fight sometime this year. It also, though, be real nice for John Jones, who has staked a lot on this eventually happening and who could stand to generate some positive news in the way of winning a damn fight against an actual damn fighter. So I, I don't know if there's really that much leverage for him to lose anymore. I think that for him to say like, hey, uh, I'm going to be ready to fight. I'm waiting for that offer to come through. I'm going to be standing by the fax machine doing preacher curls or whatever, getting ready for that heavyweight fight. Uh, I don't know if, like, I think that that's what him trying to get some interest going on fans and trying to get people excited about the possibility. But I, I think that he needs to hurry up and get in a fight sometime soon. And I think it's just in the UFC looking around at the heavyweight landscape and being like, what do we want to do here while we're in the big Fran holding period? Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, I feel like the negotiating with the UFC on a bigger contract ship has already sailed uh, for John Jones, just given the the personal problems that he had here. You and I were talking about this on Friday's Power Hour, that it seems somewhat remarkable, though, that it has been at this point over two years since yeah. we have seen John Jones step into the octagon. And if he's targeting a fight this summer, I can't help but notice that UFC 276 International Fight Week, July 2nd in Las Vegas, T-Mobile Arena. This is the one where it had been rumored that we were targeting the, uh, I think it's the men's flyweight title again, right? We were going to do Davis and Figueredo and, uh, and Brandon Moreno again, 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 brother, uh, for the fifth or seventh time, whatever it is between those two guys. Now we don't know that that's going to happen. So you're looking at at International Fight Week. I'll tell you that the two officially announced bouts that we have right now for UFC 276, you got a women, they're both women's flyweight fights. You got Jessica I versus Casey O'Neill, and you got Misha Tate versus Lauren Murphy. Now, even assuming that we actually get the Brandon Moreno Davy Figs fight back online for this thing, you know that's they're they're not going to sit pat and just let the flyweights main event international fight week on July 2nd. So if you are John Jones and you're looking to get back in the game, this seems like a good opportunity. It's just going to be a matter of who else is available at heavyweight. If that's where you want to have this fight and then making all the numbers work out. But I mean, I, I feel like donkey Dave actually makes a good point here of how far removed it feels like we are at this point from those times when John Jones was basically like UFC needs to show me the money or I'm walking away at this point. He feels like he has abdicated all that shit and he just, he either wants to or needs to fight and it's going to happen in the summer. Yeah. And you know what though? Now is the time. If you're thinking about fighting in July or August and you're looking at maybe that international fight week date on July 2nd, now's the time to start getting some, some balls rolling. Because if you go ahead and you sign something in early April, that gives you plenty of time to get full training camp in. That's about the time where you can get some guys like maybe a John Jones and a Stipe Miocic to get something on the books, agree to something and everybody feel like they have adequate time to prepare but if you start waiting for too long, then it just the prospects get worse and worse. Next question this week comes to us from the off-white Power Ranger who writes, Do you think Usman versus McGregor would be a blessing in disguise considering the byproduct of that most likely means we get Covington versus Chemaev? 
if Kamzat beats Gilbert Burns. Uh, I feel like Conor McGregor versus Kamaru Usman is a blessing for Kamaru Usman. Yeah. Like he gets a uh, high profile fight, kind of the kind of fight that champion Kamaru Usman has wanted this whole time. And, you know, uh, Lord willing in the Creek don't rise. He probably goes out there and absolutely whips the shit out of Conor McGregor. Yes. Now, Conor McGregor, in a similar to John Jones situation, has been making noise about how he will be ready to go this summer. I am looking over at the MMA junkies, and I see that Nolan King has a story out today. Uh, Twelve realistic opponents for Conor McGregor's UFC return. Twelve? Yeah, twelve. I'm just going to... That's a lot. I'm just going to read you the names, and you can tell me which one you think is most feasible. Of course, you got Nate Diaz, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliveira... Justin Gaethje, Kamaro Usman, Rafael Dos Anjos, Islam Mahachev. <laughs> Wait, Islam Mahachev? Come on, man. Did somebody tell him first that they needed to be 12? Did they? Did we start from there and then we work backwards to then fill in the names? Because I don't know, man. I don't know about some of this. If Islam Mahachev fights Conor McGregor in his next fight, I will take my favorite hat and I will throw it in the river. Robbie Wait, Lawler. I, I, I'm not even at 12 I, yet. We're still going. Robbie I didn't think you were going to say throw it in the river. But I okay. will. Toss it in the river. Jorge that's Masvidal. That's not even that. Okay. Dustin Poirier. Well, remember when I said I was going to eat my hat last time? Yeah, that's I what got, I was. I thought that's where we were headed. Well, I got myself you said I was in take some my trouble. Favorite hat. And, like whatever the thing was, it damn near came to fruition. <laughs> and, you know, Twitter was never going to let me forget it. They were like, oh, this guy's he's going to have to eat his hat. And I was like, it's, yeah. a, it's a fucking uh, expression, you guys. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idiom. But... You're going to have to get a doctor's note saying that your your personal physician had expressly forbade you from eating that hat. Still going. Benil Dariush (laughs) is the last guy on this list. Hey, there's like two guys on here that seem feasible to me. Well, maybe three. Nate Diaz. I mean, he ain't fighting Michael Chandler. He ain't fighting Tony Ferguson. Charles Oliveira, if everybody wants to make some money, maybe. He ain't fighting Justin Gaethje. Uh, He's probably not fighting Kamara Usman, if we're being super honest. And, uh... Jorge Masvidal. Those are the guys that I think are realistic. I guess you could do yeah. it again with, with Dustin Poirier, but Poirier seems like he's moved on, frankly, from that. Yeah, I mean, the the idea that he would just come in and fight one of the champs, lightweight or welterweight, I, I guess we have seen that the UFC is completely willing to abandon any pretense of earning a title shot when there's enough money to be made in it. Uh, But also, if you're Conor McGregor, you have to be thinking that it would be sure nice to get a win right about now, right? The way things have been going the last few years. You think you would have been thinking that for a while? Well, I think... you're you're, First of all, you're looking around, and if somebody's like, hey, I got a, a really good wrestler out here, or somebody who is just big, just like really big and pretty all around good. And you're going, nope, take those guys off the table. What else you got? And I think that the smart move, if you could get it, would be Nate Diaz. Because that seems like one of the more winnable fights for him right now. There's already the the storyline there with the trilogy. It's or sold well the first two times. All the reasons to think that it's going to sell well the third time. The problem is, you know that if the UFC 
were going to give Nate Diaz that fight, it would have to probably come with a new UFC contract and not the, hey, I want to hurry up and fight out this contract and get out of this shit kind of attitude that Nate Diaz has been very publicly projecting for the last few weeks now. So that would be the real sticking point. It's like, if you're Conor McGregor, that's the fight you should want. Can the UFC and Nate Diaz come to an understanding to get it done so that it can happen? That's the question. Next question. Islam Mahachev is not going to be it, no, though. I'm no. going to tell you that right now. McGregor's not sitting around in his easy chair right now being like, you know what? Give me the Mahachev kid. Give me that guy. <laughs> uh, next question this week comes from our guy, Patrick Milder, who writes, It's 2017, and Colby Covington is mostly a forgettable welterweight on a JSF fight night card. He writes into the UFC consulting service to ask how to go about creating a heel gimmick because his weaponized pace and punchable face lends itself better to a heel than a babyface gimmick. What character do you craft him into? This alternate timeline depends on your sage advice. You know what? I'm, I, some of the stuff that Colby chefed up for himself uh, wasn't bad. You know, like the, uh, I feel like he could have done some some nice things with the sort of uh, I'm cool and everybody else who doesn't like me are virgins and nerds gimmick. If we could have done that and kept the the politics out of it, I feel like Colby Covington would have been real nicely in the wheelhouse of that kind of cocky, arrogant heel that we all hate and might have been able to do it while preserving some semblance of a personal life. Because I think we all would have looked at that and we would have been like, okay, we see what he's doing. He's yeah. he's trying to be Chael Son and he's trying to be Conor McGregor. He's going about it in a slightly different way. Okay. Uh, but then he went ahead and, and mixed in all the, the far right political stuff that he does. And all of a sudden you got people trying to fight him in the buffet line at the, uh, at the Las Vegas casino. And you got guys sneaking up on him outside the poppy steak uh, and throwing them hands because he's been talking about their children. I feel like if he could have kept it, to like a cool guy, hateable cool guy in sunglasses talking about how we're all nerds and virgins and we don't know anything, that alone might have worked for him. What I hear you saying is that the advice you would have given him in 2017 from CME Consulting Services, LLC, is focus. Yeah. Narrow narrow our, our field of vision here. Let's pick one kind of unified aesthetic one goal, and let's just focus on that rather than just blasting out in all these different directions, which I think he has only increasingly done. And I think that he's done it because he doesn't understand how the heel gimmick is supposed to work, especially because when you talk about like, okay, he got really into the politics and sort of like culture war kind of stuff that's going on in American life these last few years. But he also seemed... Like, at times, he was just trying to project bad guy as bad person. Meaning, like, whatever. what's the most offensive thing I could say? Let me talk about somebody's family. Let me just talk, like, let me reach for whatever seems like it's a line that has not yet been crossed. Let me purposely cross it. And that's kind of my gimmick. But then he'll also want to turn around and get on the mic and, like, thank police and first responders and stuff. And it's like, wait a minute. Are you trying to be good? Are you trying to be good to a certain kind of person? Are, are you sick? Are you maybe not that thrilled with how it feels to be the bad guy all the time when people are, are hating on you? And maybe you're trying to make a little bit of a turn. And you're right. If he could have just been like, I'm pulling up in a limousine 
And we got the cameras ready to have Colby Covington get out of the limousine, but first uh, six women in evening gowns get out. Yeah. And then Colby Covington. And everybody would still hate on him and be like, you're clearly paying these women and they can barely stomach to even be close to you, even for the paycheck. Still, they might hate that gimmick so much that it's fun. Yeah. Focus is the key, though, because I mean, if you just start blasting out stuff in all directions, then people don't know what to make of it. And all they just decide is, fuck this guy. A little bit more focus is generally good advice in all trades, in all aspects of life. And I don't think Colby Covington is any exception here. I feel like focus distill the message to something a little bit more clear would have been great for him. And it's probably the same thing his teachers have been telling him since grade school. I'm just going to hazard a guess next question this week comes to us colby from could it be an a student if he'd just apply himself from you know? from stan who writes having morphed over the last few years from shit-eating wild man to casual shit-eating wild man i realize i may not be keeping up with the hottest of mma goss so here's my question why isn't a jake versus nate with logan versus nick as a co-main stupor fight see what he did there yeah i uh, get it being yelled about if it hasn't already thanks now this harkens back a bit to the conversation we just had about conor mcgregor and nate diaz and whether or not that fight could possibly come off because you and i have talked about this a bunch over on the patreon properties this is the move if you can yep. pull it off boxing main event and co-main event on showtime or wherever the paul brothers are plying their wares brother versus brothers versus brothers essentially is what you're doing here uh and you you, you sell all the pay-per-views it, it doesn't matter how many fights nate and nick have lost in the ufc you get these guys with the big boxing gloves and you're gonna have two diaz brothers fight two paul brothers take everybody's money you're selling all the pay-per-views. And that, I think, is why Nate wants to get out of his contract. Because he knows that. Are you saying this might be one of those pay-per-views where you have to pre-order it so they don't run out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one is the one with, it might be the pay-per-view where it makes sense to pre-order it. See, I'll go a step further and say, you ain't heard this from me, Chad, but pst, they don't even need both brothers. All you really need is Jake Paul and Nate Diaz. That's enough. Yeah. That would be enough. You know why? Like, it would fit with the Jake Paul playbook, which is to pick on a a fighter who the MMA world knows well, but also maybe pick on them at a time when you might realistically beat them and be able to walk around saying, I'm beating up all these UFC stars. And it would kind of piss the MMA world off because it'd be like, but you wouldn't beat one in his prime. You wouldn't beat a good one right now. And he would be able to say, fuck you. I don't care. I'm still beating them. And also you get a guy who actually has an existing fan base, which is not what is like, not really what you got when you got Ben Askren and, and Tyrone Woodley. Like Nate Diaz would bring a lot of his fans over with him, not just the MMA people. And you also would be able to do it with a guy where you say like, okay, hey, uh, we can stand next to each other and look like we're reasonably the same size. Here's a guy known for his ability to take a lot of punishment when he has to, but also having pretty good hands and having a, a pretty good just pure boxing game himself. So it seems like a, a pay-per-view where you're going to see some action. You're gonna, It's going to go a while one way or another. There's going to be a ton of shit talk and it's going to be two different varieties of shit talk. You're going to generate a lot of interest prior to the bell 
as we like to say, but then you were also going to give people a fight that they would look at it on paper and be like, there's a good chance that this ends up being a lot of fun. Yeah. Like you, and if you're Nate Diaz, it makes so much sense. Like why you'd be trying to hurry up, get one more last fight on the UFC contract and then get out of there because chances are you're going to go over there with Jake Paul. He's going to be wanting to talk his, I'm paying fighters fairly in the UFC isn't bullshit. And you're going to make probably more money than you would in your next three UFC fights just in that one night, you know? It, it kind of works out for everybody. You don't even absolutely need the Logan Paul, Nick Diaz side of it. And maybe you'd be better off without that side, honestly. Because then I can watch it a little, a little more guilt-free if you don't trot this. You know, we saw what Nick Diaz looked like when he was fighting Robbie Lawler. Didn't look like he, he super wanted to be there. Bite your tongue. I think you're probably right. You can probably do it with just Jake and Nate. But how much fun would it be to have the brothers... All four guys on the podium. We're just having fun doing all of our stuff. Probably talking about how everybody's on steroids. Everybody in the Paul family is on steroids. And then we show up and we throw some hands. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, your point is well made about Nick Diaz and and Robbie Lawler. But at the same time, maybe you put... uh, you put Nick out there in a in a, a stand up only fight. Maybe he uh, maybe he fares a little better. Or maybe you have both brothers in their brothers' corners, hanging around, working up a little bit of future heat. To, and then if if that looks like it can materialize down the road, then you go do a separate pay per view of that one. Because I just don't know. First of all, they're all going to want to be paid like headliners. And you're going to have to split the pie then four ways instead of just two ways. And I don't know if you sell so many more pay-per-views adding that extra fight than you do. Because I think people who are going to come, if they heard, you know, Diaz Brothers versus Paul Brothers, would also still come if it was just Diaz Brother Singular versus Paul Brother Singular. Maybe. You know what I mean? Uh, That's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, I might have uh, sold Chan Sung Jung a little bit short at the beginning of the show when I said he comes into this fight just one and one in his last two dating back to 2019. While that is true, the actual truth is that he has won three of his last four. Most recent victory over Dan Ige, he lost a unanimous decision to Brian Ortega. And before that, back-to-back stoppage wins, first-round stoppage wins over Frankie Edgar and Hanato Moicano. Now, In stark contrast to that, however, is Alexander Volkanovsky, who we all know has not at least technically lost a fight since 2013, when the granddaddy of them all, the legend himself, Corey Nelson, defeated him by third round TKO at an event called Australian FC5 down there in Melbourne. Since then, he's been spotless, Uh, obviously had some close ones with Max Holloway, but is nonetheless the reigning undisputed UFC men's 145 pound champion. I want you to pretend you are Chan Sung Jung's head coach. You okay. got you got the pencil tucked behind your ear. Mm-hmm. 
You you got a handkerchief in your back pocket so that you can maybe a, like a towel around my neck. Yep, you can polish your glasses when you need mm-hmm. to. When you're going to dispense some particularly profound wisdom, you like to stand there and polish your glasses while you do it. What do you tell your guy? The Korean zombie heading into Saturday's fight will be the most effective and successful stuff for him to do out there. Well, Zom, I call him Zom. Yeah, uh, you we're, you you're close. We, we've got a, a rapport. Well, Zom, you know, the fox knows many tricks. The hedgehog knows one good one. We got to get out there and we got to get in this man's face. We got to make it crazy. We got to make it messy. We got to make it chaotic. We can't let this guy settle into a rhythm, find his footing, and start doing that stuff he does. Because if we do that, he's going to eat you up. He's going to eat you up over the course of five rounds. We can't let him get comfortable. We need to go in there. We need to push that pace. And I need you right up in his grill. Just pressuring him, making him dance to your tune and not the other way around. Now, look, are you going to have to take some blows in order to make that happen? Absolutely you are. Are we going home with the same amount of blood in our bodies that we arrived to the arena with? No, absolutely not. But could you maybe be sitting in that ER getting stitched up as a champion? Yeah. Yeah, you could. But you got to be willing to pay the price. Wow. I mean, get out there. That's inspiring. Give me me 20 from the free throw line and then get hit the showers. Uh, I I feel inspired by that. And it sounds very much to me like what you just said is you do you. (laughs) More importantly, you do not do Volkanovsky. Because that guy, once he gets like he, he can... He seems like he has that sort of Anderson Silva-like ability to take a step back, watch how you're moving, assess what you think you're going to do, and then very quickly come up with a counter to it and then just take you apart. You just you can't give him that opportunity to do that because it just seems like technically he's so proficient in every area. He's so mentally tough. He's so like athletically sharp and quick and strong. That you just, you, you got to surprise him somehow. Yeah. Don't I said, you? I said it a couple of weeks ago. I think one of the things you know about the city kickboxing guys is that they're going to show up in great shape. They're going to have a really good game plan and then they're going to go out uh, and do their level best to execute it to the letter. And that that's what we've seen Alexander Volkanovsky do in this string of victories that he has amassed in the UFC. He's been very, very good. As I said, creeping up now. You know, creeping up on a decade, honestly, since he's lost a fight, which is an awful damn long time to do it in mixed martial arts. Uh, As I mentioned, he's got the win over Brian Ortega. Then he had back-to-back good ones with Max Holloway, but, you know, a pair of fights where Alexander Volkanovsky emerged victorious. Then you got Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez before that. So uh, a long line of top contenders here for Alexander Volkanovsky. Is this a case, though? I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but is this a case where overrated is not the word, but are we dressing Alexander Volkanovsky up to be more impenetrable, more unbeatable than he actually is? Because he does also kind of get sometimes into these fights 
where it's the classic little guy fight, right? Where everybody's circling around. We're both hitting each other. We're picking each other apart. Everything's happening very fast. And depending on uh, which way the judges score it, either guy could come out on top. Is it is it possible that at some point, I don't know if it's this weekend, but at some point, the way Alexander Volkanovsky ends up losing the title is in one of these fights where we're kind of like, eh, I'm not going to argue with the decision, but you know, it could have gone either way. I mean, possibly, but I don't know. It's easier for me to imagine a situation where somebody just shocks him, just catches him with a big shot once. And we've seen him in some risky situations where he he's been in danger and he's shown an amazing ability to recover. But sometimes uh, you know, I, it's not impossible to foresee a situation where somebody gets you in those situations and maybe you're not able to recover that time or you're not able to recover quick enough or a ref steps in before you feel like you got a chance to recover. Like that kind of stuff is easier for me to imagine than just somebody edging him out over the course of five rounds, especially in a fight like this one. I feel like the zombie has a better chance to just get to him early, catch him with something big, and then jump all over him than he does to just win more of the rounds in a five-round title fight. Now, if you are Alexander Volkanovsky's head guy and you're giving him books of poetry in the gym and uh, having him watch motivational videos, probably listening to some Mozart while you train, uh, are you telling him, we know what the Korean zombie's going to do out here? He's going to come out here and he's going to try to drag you into his kind of fight. He's going to he's going to act like a, a wild man. He's going to take the punishment. He's going to try to make this ugly and get you into a brawl. And we don't want that. What we want is an Alexander Volkanovsky fight where we go out there as the better technical striker with the better movement around the cage and the better cardio. And we impose our will a little bit at a time on this guy. We weather that early storm if it comes, and then after that, we make this our fight and we take control. Is that what you're telling Alexander Volkanovsky ahead of Saturday night? Yeah, I'm also telling him, I think, that you know the zombie is going to be there to be hit. Finding him is not going to be the problem, right? But you also, when you do find him, don't feel like you have to take his head off every single time. Let's just keep touching the guy and keep hammering away at him with the belief that eventually we either we put him away or we're just going to build up such a lead on the scorecards. Like, let's not get too excited trying to go out there and finish the guy all at once. Let's, let's go in there mindful that sometimes this guy's been known to be able to take a hell of a lot of punishment, but let's not get too worked up on it, man. Let's just, let's find him. Let's, let's hit him. Let's get out of the damn way. And then let's reset and let's do it all again. And if we have to do it all again for 25 minutes, fine. If we can get him out of there earlier than that, great. But we're not going to completely blow our wad trying to finish. All right. Let's go ahead and do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what you got? What's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, I have a confession to make, Chad. I've been, I've been thinking about something all weekend after we discussed it on Friday's Power Rankings. And uh, it just... It hasn't sit, sat well with me. Oh. It's been on my mind ever since we discussed it on Friday. I hate to take an item from the power rankings and then resurrect it on Monday as an are you fucking kidding me? But this week, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me has to go out to the parents of the Iranian Hulk. Okay. 
Yeah, this was uh, it was arresting, frankly, to read yeah. these these quotes from the Iranian Hulk. Now we talked about it on the power rankings because, especially this quote where he talks about how just crushed and devastated he was after being tossed around in like a media face-off by the world's curious man and to make that even worse the shame he has faced from his family in iran quote i cannot call my family when i returned to iran i didn't go to my family i can't i can't talk to my father when i talked to my mother she said the person i saw in that video was not my son my son is way stronger than this You know what, you guys, maybe, maybe you need to learn how to support the Iranian Hulk rather than just making him feel bad when he already feels shitty. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Let's lift the man up. Let's not stomp on his neck. Yeah. He's supposed to be the people you can depend on. His family, goddammit. You, you know what? You don't deserve an Iranian Hulk in your, in your family if that's how you're going to treat him. Yeah. There, I said it. Yeah. You fucking, fucking kidding, kidding me? me? I mean, you can call a guy the Iranian Hulk, but that that does not mean he's made of stone, right? The, this though, this Hulk has feelings. If you prick the Iranian Hulk, does he not bleed? Yeah, I hear you. I'm I'm right there with you. It's not my son out there. Can I just read your story, Ben Folks? Oh, please. This is uh, Tim Bissell wrote this one over there on uh, Bloody Elbow, and I just. As I was, I was trying to figure out what my "Are you fucking kidding me?" We're gonna was gonna be this week. I don't mean I don't. I almost have nothing to add to this. Freestyle wrestler and two-time Olympic medalist Sushil Kumar, 38, has been in jail in New Delhi since May 23rd, 2021. He has been charged with murdering fellow wrestler Sagar. Don Carr, sometimes referred to as Sakar Don Cod or Sagar Rama, 23, on May 4th on the grounds of the famous Chatrasal Stadium. Kumar, who was once one of India's most celebrated solo athletes, is trying to get out on bail while he awaits trial over the killing. However, Delhi police are trying to make sure that doesn't happen. According to the Times of India, police wrote in a status report that Kumar is a quote-unquote kingpin and that if he was released, witnesses would be at risk of intimidation. In their report, police claimed that witnesses in this case are quote-unquote terrified of Kumar and his associates. Police also stated that Kumar is a globetrotter who might flee the country if he's let out in jail. Uh, numerous motives regarding the killing of Dankar have been floating in the Indian press, most of which quote investigators who are working on the case. Most of these theories are that Kumar and Dankar became enemies after Dankar stopped paying rent on an apartment Kumar owned. This led to Kumar evicting Dankar. Additionally, Dankar has decided to leave Kumar's Chatrasal-based wrestling team and start his own rival stable. Another theory is that their fallout involves a love triangle involving a mysterious Ukrainian woman. All these theories led to Donkar allegedly bad-mouthing Kumar around the New Delhi wrestling scene. Police say this led to Kumar wanting to punish Donkar. Investigators claim Kumar arranged a group of men to abduct Donkar and his friends and bring them to the Chatrasal Stadium. At the facility, Donkar and his friends were beaten with wooden sticks. Donkar, who was the main title, a main target of the assault, did not survive the beating. One of the attackers filmed the assault on their cell phone. The video is now in possession of the police. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this is That's some just... of the craziest shit I have ever read, and I didn't even get to the part 
about how Kumar once ran a toll booth company with the help of the nephew of a noted crime boss in New Delhi. Wow, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on. Are you fucking kidding me? That's some. That's just some crazy shit right there. Also, I have to note that these two theories about how the rift develop are very different. Mm-hmm. One is like didn't pay his rent, and the other one is love triangle with mysterious Ukrainian woman. Those are those aren't even close to being like the same kind of explanation. Like I said, man, I'm a, I got nothing to add. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding I'm me kidding with this me. shit? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Judd, I would like to begin round two with an image. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think back to that moment we we've all seen it was captured as a still photograph that has popped up as an occasional MMA meme. I want you to picture Peter Yon standing there having just been disqualified for his illegal knee on a downed Aljamain Sterling's head. And I want you to, to picture the look on the man's face as he raised his fist triumphantly. Now imagine this same Peter Yon coming into this weekend's, title fight where he is, you know, the interim champion, but also still considers himself pretty much the real champion against Aljamain Sterling, who's been hanging around with that belt, trying to get his neck right. Say you're that Peter Yawn. Do you still feel as triumphant as you you did right in that moment? Do you feel like maybe you learned anything or do you feel like you're just going to go out there and treat it like, you know what? You got a, a brief reprieve in this beatdown I was about to put on you, and now it resumes. Or are we looking at a brand new fight here? Can I open my eyes? Open your eyes. Okay. Uh, I mean, if you're Peter Yawn, right, we know how these guys think. We know how these fighters uh, justify things to themselves and, and maintain their confidence and explain things away and prepare themselves for battle. If you're Peter Yawn... You're out there. You got your interim title, but you're out there. You're probably telling yourself this Aljamain Sterling character can't hold your jockstrap. That's probably what you're telling yourself in your own mind, brain, and the people in your gym, and that you're going to go out there and make this into a Peter Yawn fight where the other guy just slowly gets beaten into the living daylights. Just one of the most painful things that seems like can happen uh, to a man who weighs approximately 135 pounds is that he gets into a fight with Peter Yawn. And that, I assume, is, is what you want to do to all Jermaine Sterling. We know another thing about how these MMA fighter guys think too, man. And that's that Peter Yawn probably blames all Jermaine Sterling for this. Peter Yawn yes. probably blames all Jermaine Sterling for running around with what Peter Yawn considers to be an illegitimate title. And now you're going to make him pay for it. Whether any of that is a reflection of actual reality, I guess we'll find out on Saturday. But if you're Peter Yon, that's definitely what you're telling yourself. Yeah. Now, we talked before about uh, Corey Sandhagen had some interesting advice for Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, basically don't being do like, you. 
Don't do you, at least don't do the version of you we saw in that last fight. Because it was a little bit of a frenetic pace he seemed to be trying to set, and it did seem like it was really beginning to take its toll on him. And it looked like he was starting to run out of gas a little bit, and then Peter Yan was putting on. But it also seemed like, at least what surprised me in that first fight was... You're looking at Aljamain Sterling thinking his best path here is to drag you down and nab an opportunistic submission once you're trying to scramble back to your feet. And Peter Yan seemed to surprise him with some of those creative foot sweeps that were putting Aljamain Sterling on his back there. Do you come in, if you're Aljamain, with a different game plan here? Are you thinking, you know what? Uh, maybe I don't need to sell out so hard trying to get a takedown, or maybe I also need to set a different kind of pace than I did in that that first fight. Yeah, I mean, Aljamain Sterling, I think quite rightly, probably deserves a little bit more respect headed into this fight. It did seem like he was probably en route to a decision loss against Peter Yan in their first fight before Peter Yan as I like to say, broke the rules so bad they took his title away from him and gave it to the other guy. Not None of which is your fault, by the way, if you're Aljamain Sterling. Uh, but Aljamain Sterling, Ben, has officially won six fights in a row. He beat Corey Sandag, and he beat Pedro Munoz. He beat Jimmy Rivera. He's beaten a handful of other bantamweight notables in his UFC career. He's a good damn fighter. And I, people yeah. are kind of acting like, uh, number one, they where we are doing the MMA industry thing of blaming the guy who got fouled which mm -hmm. we always do and never ceases to amaze me. But people are also just sort of acting like the guy sucks. And like maybe he's been ducking Peter Yan because he has had some some injury mishaps and some surgeries during this layoff. And that probably makes you mad too if you're Aljamain Sterling. Like again, speaking about motivation heading into this thing, there's no shortage of it if you're Aljamain Sterling and you are the champion, officially the undisputed champion, and you look at the odds and you're like plus 350 or whatever. Now, the question of how to actually get a win against Peter Yan could be a little bit of a tricky deal. But, you know, Aljamain Sterling, uh, he will be well prepared for this, as we know. He, he's going to have a, a good game plan. And I think you're right, probably learned a lot of stuff from the first fight. And if you can come into a situation where you don't, slow down quite as much you don't gas out maybe you do in fact conserve your energy a little bit different and you you uh you not only solve the foot sweeps but you try to figure out how to impose a little bit more of your own wrestling game and or clinch game and or uh, you know uh dirty boxing tactics things like that uh maybe you can have a different outcome i don't know i think it's it's in my heart of hearts it's probably right to expect a peter yawn victory here but at the same time like, I don't think Aljamain Sterling is as far out of it as people think. Yeah, okay. How about this, though, as a variable? Aljamain Sterling hasn't fought since this this fight with Peter Yan a little over a year ago. Uh, has dealt with the next stuff yeah. since then. You know, some kind of serious next stuff. And had to delay this fight because he's trying to get back to where he felt like he needed to be after having neck surgery to address this chronic issue. To go through all that, come back after not fighting for a year, and have to get in there with Peter Yan, that seems tough, man. That yeah. seems like some stuff kind of piling up against you. Yeah, it's a tough ask for sure. It's, it's a difficult uh, mission for anybody who is at the top of their game, who has been fighting frequently and is in a real rhythm to come up and fight Peter Yan. Nobody that we have seen has really beaten him at the highest level. Like prior to his 
disqualification loss to Aljamain Sterling in their last fight. I don't think he had lost since 2016, and he had not lost at all in the UFC. And oh, by the way, while Aljamain Sterling was out having his physical issues, uh, Peter Young kind of beat the brakes off Corey Sandhagen. So he's out here pretty much rolling. And like I said at the beginning of the round, of course, going to come into this fight brimming with confidence. Uh, and Aljamain Sterling has had a little bit of a tougher road. So I think it's probably right that he is the underdog. I don't know if he would see it that way. But uh, he, he probably, you know, rightly or wrongly, he has something to prove, I think, in this fight. And he's also, uh, you know, probably didn't expect this protracted absence because of, of injury and surgeries and things like that. But that's also, you know, as much as I can't criticize the guy for it, like that's the that's the hand you deal yourself when you when you get the title via DQ, right? Uh, you're going to you're gonna have to fight this guy again. And in this case, you kind of, uh, I don't want to say set yourself up for this, but like, took the title at a time when uh when you immediately had all these kind of setbacks in your career so it's it's going to be tough for him i think in this fight but uh you know that's i don't know what he could have done to make it to make it transpire otherwise at this point yeah uh which one of these three fights do you think is going to be the most competitive just just to ask because uh i feel like the the picture that we're painting for for chan sung jung is a little bit of a long shot we have said that we would put money on Gilbert Burns against Kamzat Chimaev. We will talk more about that fight coming up in uh, round number three. But at the same time, like, is Aljamain Sterling versus, versus Peter Yan the one that has the chance to be the most competitive? Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially if Aljamain Sterling shows up really ready to fight with no signs of rust or signs that he's not fully recovered and, and back to where he wanted to be after the next surgery stuff. Because it was already, it was fairly competitive the first time. You know, right up until Peter Yan cheated so bad they took his belt away. But I, I think once uh, somebody like Aljamain Sterling, I think will benefit from having that first fight experience, that having felt what Peter Yan has to offer, and and having a chance to kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit. I think while I still favor Peter Yan because of just a host of issues from you know the this tough stuff that is sort of check marks against Aljamain Sterling coming in here, but also just because Peter Yan is really fucking good. Yeah. Uh, I, I still think that it's going to be a pretty competitive fight. I don't think he goes in there and just absolutely steamrolls him. Yeah, it's hard to pick Aljamain Sterling here just because, like you said, I think a lot of it comes down to what version of Aljamain Sterling we get out there in the cage. And additionally to that, the question of can the best Aljamain Sterling, even if that's what we get, beat the best Peter Yan? Uh, which is, is it's it's tough to forecast. Although on a personal note, I would feel a lot of satisfaction. Like I I don't dislike either of these two guys. I like to watch both of them fight, but just the way Aljamain Sterling has been treated in the wake of that fight with Peter Yan, it would be kind of satisfying to see him win this fight and become the actual undisputed champion. Yeah. All right, that's gonna do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. As a gentleman of a certain age, I have to ask. Oh, God. Oh, God. Here we go. Jesus Christ. Do you take a multivitamin? 
you know, honestly, my answer is sometimes when I remember. <laughs> well, you should. You should be doing it every day. I'll tell you what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. Drinking AG1 from Athletic Greens. I wake up in the morning. I put a scoop of it in some water. I shake it up in the handy shaker that they sent me in the mail with my order. And then I drink it down. With AG1, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, and probiotics to help you start your day right. It supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus. It helps with the aging process. You know, all the things a couple of old guys like us need a little help with. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or really any artificial anything, and it still tastes pretty good too. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. It costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than that gas station coffee you like to drink. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, which I also take, and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com CME. Again, that's athleticgreens.com CME to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Can I tell you something? Yeah. You had me with helps with the aging process. Yeah, we're looking for anything at this point yeah. that'll help with the old aging process. I'll be. You know what I could use some help with? It's the aging process. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about a couple of these young whippersnappers out there. Kamzat Shemaev and I guess the 35-year-old Gilbert Burns. They're going to do the damn thing at 170 pounds. This is... Uh, you know, not the main event or the co-main event of UFC 273, but definitely a fight that people are going to be uh, stoked to see, interested to see perhaps the biggest test of Kamzat Chemaev's young UFC career. We talked about the odds at the top of the show. Uh, I don't know whether Gilbert Burns is going to win this thing. Probably uh, Kamzat Chemaev gets it done. But at the same time, do you take a flyer on this? If you got $20, you never want to see again, because it's not every day you can get plus three fifty or whatever it is on a guy like Gilbert Burns. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I had to go and fact check it when you said Gilbert Burns was 35. Cause I thought, no, that can't be right. Gilbert uh, Burns. He's a youthful 35. 35 Probably been drinking his old. athletic greens. He's got a real, real joie de vever. For a 35-year-old, but sure enough, it checks out. Um, I guess I'm trying to picture in my mind brain how it looks for Kamzat Chemayev to go out there and run right over Gilbert Burns the way odds makers seem to think he will. And what we've seen so far from Kamzat Chemayev is just go right at people, grab them, put your hands on them, Scotty, Mm -hmm. ragdoll them just be draped all over them and overwhelm them with force, power, pace, and they pretty soon they give you something. And by pretty soon, very quickly, without them getting a chance to do much offense at all. Yeah. It's really hard for me to picture him doing that to Gilbert Burns. It is hard, and it'll be impressive as he if he is able to do it. I, I think that I think that it's meaningful 
that the UFC and, and some of the t- other top fighters in this sport, frankly, treat Kamzat Chemaev with this reverence. Like, they're not doing it for no reason. And guys like Dana White, as much grief as he gets uh, for stuff that he deserves to get grief over, but he's seen a lot of fighters. He's seen a lot of fights. It's kind of his job, been his whole, his job his entire adult life, and same with Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard. And so for the UFC to treat Kamzat Chemaev the way that it treats him is meaningful to me. It means... I don't expect that he will turn out to be anything besides the real deal. However, I will say we haven't seen a ton from the guy yet, man. And just knowing uh, the the multitude of different ways that things can go wrong for you in mixed martial arts, and frankly, the multitude of different ways we have seen prospects flounder, not turn out to be the thing that they were supposed to be over the years in this sport. I still need to see a lot more evidence and a lot more complete evidence from Kamzat Chemaev before I will anoint him, you know, the next big thing, the thing that he is supposed to be. Guy's never been out of the second round in his mixed martial arts career. His last three fights, remember Li, Li Jingliang, which was impressive that he took out uh, Li yeah. Jingliang as quickly and easily as he did. Gerald Mearshart in a fight where Mearshart was coming in, I believe, off covid uh, and and Chemayev knocked him out in 17 seconds. And before that, Reese McKee, a guy who was, you know, uh, relatively touted out of Ireland, I believe. But again, Chemayev took care of him in the first round. So, like, I kind of want to see Kamzat Chemayev have a fucking three-round back-and-forth war where he gets tested on multiple levels, and we see what his cardio is like, and we see what he is like in the third round when the chips are down and you got to do something to win the fight. Uh And then maybe I will become a believer. And I guess I'm holding out a little bit of hope that Gilbert Burns is a guy who might be able to bring that out of him because Gilbert Burns, uh, you know, despite the fact that, that uh, he had his own championship opportunity that he was unable to cash in on, but Gilbert Burns uh, has been really good for a long time in this sport. And we just saw him take care of the wonder boy last July in a three round unanimous decision. So if nothing else, I would love to see Gilbert Burns take Kamzat Chemaev into water deeper than we have seen him in thus far, so we can all get a better read on exactly what Kamzat Chemaev brings to the table in a fight like that, because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Okay, how about this? Let's say Kamzat Chemaev goes out there and ragdolls Gilbert fucking Burns the way he has everybody else. Like he's over there picking him up, slamming him down, talking to Dana White as he is setting up the finish. Yeah. Will you come out of that one and be like, all right, you know what? It The hype was all real. Everything they said was true. This guy really is the, the, the anointed one. And let's just go right ahead, book him a title fight. But also let's start preparing for the, the, the Kamzat Chamayev era in MMA. Will, will you be completely sold if he goes out there and he re- if it really is a one-sided fight? And, and against, you know, a guy who was who seemed like he was one or two punches away from becoming the champ himself not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if he runs through Gilbert Burns again, that's a, that will be another impressive accolade to add to the resume of Kamzat Shemaev, and it'll be the most impressive thing that he's done thus far in the UFC. And if he does it in 17 seconds or three minutes or whatever it is, more power to him. But at the same time, that will leave questions on the table. Like, you know, we've we've seen people have long careers in this sport until they get tested in a certain kind of way. It's, you know, it's happened to some of the best known, most popular champions that we've seen in this sport that they've been able to achieve such dominance and such uh, 
success in the sport that we don't see them really get tested by anyone until the one contender comes up who can do it. And then we get those answers. And it could be that Kamzat Shmaev is that kind of guy. But, you know, I've just seen it go wrong for too many people in too many different ways. And the sport is too diverse and it's too hard. And there's too many different factors that can uh, all come together to provide a complete picture of an MMA fighter for me to really start treating Kamzat Shmaev like he's fucking magic just yet. Like, he's really, really good. We've seen that. But, like, is he really good in minute 14? Is he really, really good in minute 24? We don't know because we haven't got there yet. And I, and I would just, I would like to see it, frankly. Is he really good? Maybe once Gilbert Burns laces a right hand upside his head. Yeah, see, there's, we, we, we haven't seen him react to any adversity. We haven't seen him in a long fight. We haven't, have we seen him uh, get out of a submission? Have we seen him in a fight where somebody takes him down? Like... I don't know, man. So uh, I don't have any reason to doubt that Kamzat Shemaev is the person that he's been billed as by the UFC. But at the same time, like, show it to me first. And then and then I guess I will start believing it. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and do uh, just saying stuff. And then we can get out of here for this week. Ben, I did not watch WrestleMania. But I did. Oh, no. I did see some videos. It's two nights. It's just a big. That's a big commitment from your boy. Uh, but I did see some videos of Logan Paul mm-hmm. seemingly effortlessly pulling off the three amigos vertical yeah. suplex spot, and I saw some videos of Pat McAfee out here hitting his own superplex and you know flipping off the top rope and jumping from the floor of the ring up to the top turnbuckle. And I saw some some reportage about Wee Man from Jackass out here body slamming Sami Zayn. I'm sorry, you re- you referred to that as reportage. Okay. Reportage. Uh, and then I saw Vince McMahon <laughs> hilariously botch the Stone Cold Stunner in a way that will be looked at and puzzled over for generations. I guess I'm just saying, pretend you're pro wrestling for a second. You're cool, right? But you're out here competing for eyeballs with legitimate competitive sports. You're out here with MMA, with boxing, with now bare knuckle boxing and celebrity boxing and everything else. If you're pro wrestling, is it really a good idea to have these totally untrained amateurs show up and look like they might be incredible fucking pro wrestlers? I mean... I know Pat McAfee, former NFL player, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Logan Paul also has his own legitimate amateur sports background. These guys are athletes. I know what they're doing. But is it, if you're pro wrestling, is that really a good look? Meanwhile, 76-year-old Vince McMahon can't even job the damn stunner. I'm not trying to kill anybody's joy here, but does it undermine pro wrestling if Logan Paul looks like he could go out there and immediately have a 45-minute work rate match with Daniel Bryan. Should you really be making Pat McAfee look like he could be intercontinental champion tomorrow? Doesn't it kind of undermine the idea that pro wrestlers are themselves great athletes and trained professionals? I mean, not to sound like grumpy-ass Ole Anderson or anything, Ben. But don't you have to protect the business just a little (laughs) bit? Just a little bit. I'm just saying. Just saying. You're saying maybe we shouldn't make it look like anybody can roll up in here and do this shit. I'm saying I would come to the the, the production meetings and be like, Logan, could you look a little less good? Could you just look a little less, you know, like well, you could do all this shit? Could you, just, could you suck just a little more on your first time out? 
I'm going to have to turn it around on you isn't one of the things you were saying about Jake Paul, Logan's brother, that, well, sure, he should be able to get good at boxing because it's not like he has anything else to do. That's true. It's not like he's got to get these kids off to school. It's not like he's got to, like, you know, old man Roberts at the office is busting his hump about the quarterly reports. No, he doesn't have anything else to do, man. He, ought, he can just train, just do this. Isn't the same true for Logan. Do you think that's what he's been doing, though? I... I don't want to speculate about the day-to-day life of one Logan Paul. I'm going to dress like fucking Bumblebee from the Transformers, and then I'm going to come out and I'm going to have a five-star classic. I don't know. I mean, hey, if Logan Paul has been out there putting in the work in a fucking Quonset hut with a ring set up in it and some of the finest trainers in the biz for months, and this is just his coming out party, more power to him. I kind of doubt it. I think he's probably... I don't know. I saw the clip. It doesn't look like you roll off the couch and do that. Well, he's in good shape. The guy's a freaking athlete. He's probably been training in boxing, but, you know, he might have been taking mushrooms with Instagram influencers for all I know. Then he'd put doing that more than putting in work in the wrestling ring. Hey, hey, there's 24 hours in a day. There's time to do a lot of stuff. It was fucking great, however, when Vince McMahon botched the the stunner so bad that Stone Cold Steve Austin just laughed. Laughed his ass off about how terrible it was. And it seemed to be a laugh of pure joy from what I saw. For sure. Unbridled joy. Well, Chad, this week, I'm just saying, reading here a headline off of MMA Junkie, 49ers legend Frank Gore to make pro boxing debut for Jorge Masvidal's Game Bread Promotions. Yeah. He had a fight before, right? He did. If it was, I believe it was an amateur fight on the uh, Jake Paul Tyron Woodley card. Uh, I think he lost a very close decision in a kind of crazy ass uh, four round exhibition match, uh, but said that you know maybe he would want to do a little more boxing after that. Now he's supposed to be signing like one of those one day contracts uh, with the San Francisco 49ers so that he can uh, retire as a member of the team. Jed, this story notes he is third. In total rushing yards for a 16-year NFL career, he rushed for exactly 16,000 yards, which there's a uh, that you ought to get an award just for that, just for finishing with a round number. Behind only Walter Payton and Emmett fucking Smith. Third place behind those two guys. Pretty good company. Yeah, I've heard of them. And then you're gonna retire and box for Jorge Masvidal's fight promotion in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. I'm just saying, why though? Why? <laughs> it's got it in his veins, man. It's in okay. his blood. We, we didn't want to like maybe wait around for something. We, we decided like, okay, Jorge Masvidal's got a show in Jackson, Mississippi. Well, that sounds like everything is going to be totally on the up and up. The guy was just sucker punching people outside the poppy steak. Let me get on that fight card. Let me just roll right up in there from my incredibly successful, highly decorated NFL career, put on those boxing gloves, go to work in front of a, a crowd of like 5,000 people in Jackson, Mississippi. Why, though? I'm just saying. Just saying. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Uh, we will be over at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event all week, serving up nothing but the extreme hotness for you guys. Just hit after hit after hit. It's like the fucking chronic. It's like you're listening to the first notorious B.I.G. album. Every track's a banger over at the Patreon. Costs $1 to get in the door for the live chat on Wednesday. Don't hate yourself. 
Treat yourself. Come on over. Join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, though, thanks, everybody, for listening. We are done. We are through. We are out. I mean, the, when I saw Logan Paul out there, the guy has some hops. I give him that. You can't take that away from Jack. That's just natural athleticism. The guy can get up there. Yeah. No, those guys look great. Those guys look great. I guess that's what you, that's what you want to do. Do some WrestleMania. What you want is a pro wrestler. You want to harken back to the good old days of Kane sending Pete Rose off on a stretcher. I want, uh, you know, Lou Fez to break Logan Paul's arm on the first day of training. Like, yeah, kid, I'll teach you how to pro be a pro wrestler. <laughs> <laughs>